Well, good morning, friends. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And I guess good morning to the rest of you, since many of you didn't respond. So good morning, friends, and the rest of you. That's good. We're going to read today about two more cities where Paul and company ministered during his second missionary journey. And, and since it's a lengthy reading today, we're just going to go through it a chunk at a time. I'm not going to read the whole thing and then go back and break it down. Um, but before we do that, we're going to talk about what we'll be looking for in the text today. Uh, and while the kids are finding the bingo pictures, because there's, I don't know, like six or eight of them hidden in there. Uh, in this passage, Paul's crew, he goes to stay in two different cities. And the response from the people in those cities uh, have some similarities to each other, but also they have some pretty major differences. And so one of the things that we're going to be looking at is what these two towns had in common. But we'll also be discussing uh, what was different and their reactions to the gospel, and then what factors led to those differences. And then, before we finish, we'll take some time to apply what this text says to our own lives, our own contexts, our here and now. Okay, so uh, I tried to find one overarching theme to connect all of this, and it wasn't readily apparent, uh, except to read the story and then make a decision as both individuals and as the church, which example do we want to follow? Which example do we want to follow? And I'm hopeful that as we go, we'll be able to pick up on, on some attitudes and some behaviors uh, that we, we either have that we need to change or else some attitudes and behaviors that we need to adopt and we need to grow in. So let's say a prayer and then, uh, and then we'll start. So bow with me, please. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for um, smiling faces. I thank you, Father, for your word and for the fact that, uh, that you allow us, Father, uh, really you, you command us to spread your word. And I pray that everyone here is good soil, that the, the seeds will take root and bear fruit for the gospel. I pray, Father, that your kingdom is honored today, that your name is glorified by what is uh, spoken, and more importantly, God, by what is applied. Uh, we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, and we ask that you will help us to serve him with our lives, and uh, especially just for the next, uh, next few minutes as we, uh, as we talk about your word together. Help us to serve him with our minds. Help us to stay focused. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, you might remember Paul and Silas had just left Philippi um, after being asked to leave by the magistrates. You remember that story? Um, they realized that they had had an entirely illegal proceeding with Paul and Silas, and they were scared of getting in trouble. And so the city rulers came, and they are like, hey, you guys need to go. Please, please, please go peacefully. And so they kind of walked him out, and then Paul and Silas did what they were going to do anyway. Before they left, they went and visited the other Christians. Um, now, when they had passed through tough word here. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, this is important because the missionary journey took them to a whole lot of places. All three of, of Paul's missionary journeys took him to, to multiple places, but they still uh, tended to land for longer spans in places where they would be able to witness to Jews, especially on those first two missionary journeys. Even in Philippi, where it seems there may not have been a synagogue they met out at the river, you remember this, that's how they met Lydia, with Jewish converts who would meet together for prayer. And this past week, uh, one of the passages I've been studying in my morning, um, kind of my, my devotional time, I guess, in the morning, is Romans 9. And it's pretty obvious from that chapter especially that the Apostle Paul really had a heart for the Jewish people, which makes perfect sense because Paul was Jewish and his Savior was Jewish. And Paul's family was Jewish. And on top of that, he'd spent 
many years memorizing much of the Old Testament. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. And he had memorized so much of the the Jewish laws and the customs. And so even though he was going into towns that were primarily Gentile towns or or else Hellenized uh, Greek culture Jews, he would still make every effort first to reach out to the Jewish people. And this actually occurred in both of these cities. In Thessalonica and Berea, the gospel is presented to Jews. Now there's an asterisk there. Uh, because it certainly wasn't exclusively presented to the Jews, okay? Because Paul and his crew, they also reached out to Gentile people in these towns. However, Jewish people tended to be the first group, okay, that would hear the gospel message in each new place that Paul went. And we can see more evidence in this in the following sentence, because it says, and Paul went in, as was his custom, okay, meaning that Paul's uh, normal approach to evangelism in a new town was to go to where he knew that Jews would be gathering. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Y'all, there is so much in this paragraph. And if you've ever considered it important to engage in evangelism, which means sharing the message of Jesus then you might want to take notes on what Paul does, okay? We've got a nice little outline for you in the bulletin insert if you want to use that. But Paul was a master at evangelism. We see one side of it this week, and we're going to see another side of it uh, when we get into what he said when he got to Athens, Mars Hill. But um, first of all, notice that Paul met them where they were. Now, I know this is kind of a catchphrase, right, you know, to meet people where they are, but, but here I mean it literally, as in Paul wanted to reach Jewish people, so he headed into the synagogue, which was the place where Jews went to worship, and he did it on the Sabbath days, where he knew that there would be the most people there. He went where he expected his intended audience to be, and this is really a, a pretty basic rule for any sort of communication, right? Find your audience, And as basic as this is, it seems like a lot of Christians, we haven't figured this out yet. You know, we want to be effective at making disciples for Jesus Christ, right? We do, right? Okay, so that starts by sharing his message with the lost. But if every single person that we know is already a Christian, maybe we ought to make some new friends. Don't you think? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that every Christian is called to evangelism in the same degree that Paul was. But we've all got a testimony to share, right? We've all got a witness. And if the salt never leaves the shaker, how is it going to season anything? How is it going to preserve anything? So Paul went where the people are, but he didn't just do it once. Luke tells us he went on multiple occasions. Okay? So first of all, it was, it was his custom, and so he apparently did it in, in every town that had a synagogue in it. But we also read that he did it three Sabbaths in a row. And there's a good, a good precedent being set here. Okay, Uh, I want to be clear in saying there's nothing wrong with sharing your faith with anyone at any time if the Holy Spirit leads you to do so, including what seems seems to be chance encounters. I'm putting that in big air quotes because there's no such thing. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I do believe in God incidents. Amen. He sets things up like that. But there's something there's still something about consistency that helps effectiveness. You know, sometimes you can share the gospel with a person one time and the Lord opens their eyes right then and there. But it's also sadly true that sometimes a person sits in church for decades and that veil is never taken away. 
But there's no denying the fact that giving people more opportunities to hear the gospel means they'll have more chances to accept it. And there's also the fact that being in the same place on several different occasions, it means you're more likely to see some, some different people and some of the same people. And you'll have more credibility. Because when you're in a place longer, you, you end up building relationships with people over time and, and repeated discussion with those people. Uh, from personal experience, I can tell you that picking a few places that you like to eat or that you like to get your coffee and then working in those places, if you're, if you're mobile, that's actually a really good way to meet people and to have a chance to, to share Christ with people. Um, sadly, with COVID, two of my favorite places shut down. Uh, the Bluebird, two doors down, and Snug on the Square was one of my favorite places. It is the least masculine name of any coffee shop ever, Snug on the Square. But I'll tell you, I liked the place a lot. They had great food. Anyway, right, Matt? Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> so anyway, um, so it's good to be able to do that, to be able to, to make connections that Christ can glorify himself through by, by meeting people in various places where you go. Uh, Paul went where he knew his audience would be, and he went consistently. And then it says he reasoned from their scriptures, right? It says he reasoned from the scriptures, but these were their scriptures. I think that's key. Especially in, when it comes to evangelizing Jewish people, it's one of the biggest advantages that, that Christians can have, knowing that the Old Testament of the Bible is breathed out by God, just like the New Testament is, and knowing that Jesus is present there in the Old Testament. If people are Jewish by faith, they should already have an understanding of who Yahweh is, and, and they believe that the Old Testament is true. So our job, which Paul was awesome at, is showing Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for all along. And I love Luke's description of what, of what Paul said so much. I'm going to read it again. It says, He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He would have been speaking to He would have been saying the word Mashiach, the Messiah. That's who he's talking to, is people that understand that they've been waiting for this Messiah. And this is so good, and I want, I want us to take a minute and just unpack it here. When it says Paul was explaining and proving, the word explain literally means to open. So Paul opened the scriptures to them in a way that was as much spiritual as it was physical, drawing out these, these deep truths that they had not yet understood about the Messiah. And the word proving... It's kind of an interesting word. It literally means to set alongside. So it implies a proof or evidence by comparison. Paul was able to point to what Scripture said about the Messiah, who was to come, and then he was able to show how Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled each of those prophecies. And I know we've talked about this, I know, like several times, but, but there are so many. Most of my favorites are in Psalms or in Isaiah, these messianic scriptures that are fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, there's, there's multiple in the prophets. Even back in Genesis, we have prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And the Gospel of Matthew, it was written by a Jew to Jews, and there's at least 20 direct quotes or, or allusions to the Old Testament showing how Jesus fulfilled them all. You probably know Isaiah 53 contains an incredible description of the torture and death and burial of Jesus. But then you have Psalm 16 and Zechariah 12 and others that showed he had to rise from the dead. 
He had to. So Paul used these, these great truths from the Bible to preach the saving message of Christ to the people of Israel that were scattered throughout all these different nations. And what was the result? Luke writes, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many. I want you to think about that. Some versus a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So now we, we get into some comparison and contrast, okay? Starting with the reaction of the gospel in Thessalonica, which was that some believed. And I think it's cool that, that Luke, just like in his gospel, he tends to emphasize the role and response of women with regard to the ministry of Christ and his apostles. You know, what we see in the sentence is that some of the Jews believed. It says, but a great many of the Gentiles believed in a good number of leading women. And that, what he's talking about is ladies of high society there in, in Thessalonica. So it sounds like things were starting out pretty well, right? You know, they've got some people that are believing, that are starting to follow. But, but then, as it so often does <laughs> with Paul, things take a turn for the worse. It says, but the Jews, and this meaning the majority of the Jews there who didn't believe the gospel, were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Who was Jason? Was he that one Christian guy that always wore a hockey mask? Or was that? No. No. Who was Jason? No, I'm sorry. He was, it doesn't say. We don't know who this dude was. His name just pops up. Jason. I'm like, and the Argonauts? I mean, who are we talking about here? But this guy, Jason, was dragged out of his house, okay? He was, he was apparently a, a prominent Christian, and probably Paul had stayed in his home for a while. But anyway, they ransacked Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. Okay, first of all, what a cool description. These men have turned the world upside down. Put that, honey, put that on my gravestone, okay? I want that to be true. I want to turn the world upside down. That's what we should want to do as Christians. We should want to upset the apple cart for Jesus, okay? And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue once again, right? Paul went immediately to the synagogue in Berea, just as he did in Thessalonica, showing again his common practice for, for the sake of sharing the gospel was to go to the Jews first. And we'll get to how that was received shortly. But for now, let's take a moment. Let's, let's recap what happened in Thessalonica, okay? Some of the Jews there believe, we saw that. But others accused Paul of sedition. Now, what does that mean, sedition? It's basically treason. So you might wonder, well, how does that follow? See, when the crowd invoked the name of Caesar, and they said the apostles were acting against him, and they were promoting another king named Jesus, that could be considered an act of treason, to say that somebody other than Caesar was king, and to say that that, that king other than Caesar rightfully demands our loyalty. That's what was happening. And people in this world, guys, whose eyes are blinded by Satan that, that do not receive the things of God because they are incapable of understanding them. Again, that's according to 1 Corinthians 2. They can't grasp our reasons as Christians for rejecting earthly authority as our ultimate authority. 
When it comes to certain issues, we talked about that last week a little bit, about, about strategic civil disobedience. On top of this, they were angry with Paul. They, they were envious of his influence, and when they couldn't hurt him, they punished his accomplices instead. Now, in this case, we see Jason and his buddies, they got off easy with justifying. It could have, it could have been a whole lot worse, right? But the fact is, the bad guys in this scenario, they, they didn't really have much against Jason or the other people with him. Their beef was with Paul, or arguably with God. <laughs> but when they couldn't hurt the person they wanted to hurt, they dragged these other people into it. And guys, I think that's going to happen. I think you need to be prepared for that. If you're a Christian, there's probably going to be times that you're going to experience difficulty, maybe even pain and suffering, because of your faithfulness to Jesus. And while it, it might not be your, you know, the best consolation, it helps to remember this. It's really Jesus and his words that they're hating on. And so if they hate us, it's by proxy. And we also know from Scripture, it is a blessing to share in the sufferings of Christ. So we are supposed to remember to consider it a blessing if the time comes, okay? Anyway, so Paul and Silas were spirited out of town by night, and, and, and that's interesting, but we're going to come back to that. But for now, let, let's look at the reception that they got in the next city. This is Berea, okay? Luke says, now these Jews, referring to the Jewish people in Berea, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Okay, we're going to be ready for a little more compare and contrast here, okay? The reaction in Berea was different, according to Luke, because the Jews there in Berea were nobler. What does that mean? Huh? Thank you. <laughs> it's an interesting descriptor, and, and I think the following verses reveal its meaning. Remember, there had been some Jewish people who believed the gospel in Thessalonica, but many more who did not. And they turned on Paul because of envy rather than listening to him prove that Jesus was the Christ. But it's a different story in Berea, though. It says, first of all, they received the word eagerly. Okay? When they heard the story of God's love for sinners and how he sent his son to die on a cross for us, receiving on himself... The wrath that we deserved, it got their attention. And when they heard of God's power to keep His promises, and how He raised up His Messiah to life again, they were excitedly soaking it up. You know, they, they recognized the ring of God's truth in this message. They answered a question that they've been asking their entire lives. When is the Messiah going to come? Honestly, how anyone can hear the gospel and not be affected by it in some way is beyond me. Uh, even if you hear it for the hundredth time, if it doesn't quick your spirit, you know, if it doesn't give you some kind of, of peace or joy, check your pulse. This is an amazing story. What Jesus did for us. It's an amazing story. Well, these Bereans, they were lapping up Paul's teaching. And they enjoyed the truth that they recognized in it, but they weren't, this is cool, they weren't just blindly accepting it. I think it's maybe just as interestingly, Luke says they examined the scriptures daily for the purpose of trying to figure out whether this teaching was legit. They're like, did this really line up with what they knew? And I'm just going to throw this out there, and, and I hope the Holy Spirit convicts us without beating us up too badly, okay? We have the Bible, 
Each one of us in this room has the Bible. And most of us probably have one with our name stamped on the cover somewhere, right? That somebody gave us when we got baptized or, you know, when, whenever, back when that was like a really big deal to get your name etched in it, you know? We probably have, and some of us have more than one. And you know what? If you've got a smart device, then you have instant access to several dozen translations of the Bible in English at your fingertips, these, these guys and, and gals, these Bereans, they didn't have iPhones. They didn't have Kindles. In fact, they didn't even have Bibles at home. You know, the, their Bibles, for the most part, were, were papyrus scrolls of the Old Testament only that were in the synagogues, and they had to be accessed by walking into town and then getting permission uh, to, to kind of check them out, you know, at the synagogue, they had to find the right scroll and then go through it to find this prophecy that Paul was talking about. Because you remember, they didn't have chapter and verse back then. They just had the book, right? They didn't even have the New Testament written down yet. And yet it says they were daily, daily examining the Scriptures to prove the Word of God, to pour over it, treating it like the, the treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom and truth that it is. Daily. Some of us have trouble even reading a few verses a day. Most of us have the lyrics to a thousand songs in our heads, but we don't even know a hundred verses of the Bible. Why? I think it's because we take it for granted. I mean, that's probably part of it. You know, we can have something instantaneously, and whenever that's the case, we don't think of it as valuable. But God has given us his word, revealing his character to us, revealing his love for us, revealing his power of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ for us. So I tapped my screen and now it's on my email. Give me just a second here. <laughs> there it is again. All right. And this is last week's. Of course it is. Just a moment, folks. Don't bring up that email. <laughs> <laughs> For those of y'all that don't know, that day that Ron was up here and we were all wondering if he was having a stroke, it was because he touched something on his iPad and it just disappeared and he was like... <laughs> Just do it. And we're all like, is he okay? <laughs> so that's what happened. Anyway, oh, goodness. All right, so found it again. Uh, I want to challenge each and every person in this room. If you're not already using the Bible app, because there's a Bible app. It's so easy to get. It's called Version or just Bible. Pull that up. Um, you can start today, and you can read through the New Testament in 90 days on the app. It doesn't take that long every day to read through the New Testament in 90 days. Okay, you could do that. You could finish over the Thanksgiving weekend if you start today. And then you could reread the Gospels through the month of December. And then you could start reading the Old Testament beginning on January 1st through it in a year. You could do it. So between now and the end of next year, you could have read the entire Bible. It's really not that hard. I mean, folks, we have, we have one truly inexhaustible resource that's available to mankind. It's not a natural resource. It's a supernatural one. And we ought to make use of this privilege we've been given. We have the word of God. Amen? 
Let's read it. Anyway, so what was the result in Berea of Luke's preaching? Excuse me, of Paul's preaching. According to Luke, many of them, and he means the Berean Jews here, many of them therefore believed. Now that word therefore is important, okay? Because it shows that these men and women, they weren't operating on a, on a blind faith principle. They had faith based on digging into what they knew was God's word. Remember, they were going. They wanted to see if what they're hearing was true. That is noble. I found out last week from a friend, um, may have been somebody in here, I don't remember, somebody messaged me on, on, uh, on Facebook, this, this article. The Mennonite Church, the MCUSA Church specifically, is one of the newest denominations in the United States to change their official position from the Bible does not support the LBGTQ lifestyle, which is correct, to we should be accepting of this lifestyle, which is inconsistent with Scripture. Although it is historically consistent with the downfall of civilizations, that's a whole other topic, but this is the Mennonites. It's already happened overwhelmingly in the Anglican Church and in the, the UMC and, and the Presbyterian PCUSA. And, you know, if Christians would eagerly receive God's word, if we would search the scriptures daily, to see if what we're being taught is consistent with the Bible, we wouldn't fall for that kind of stuff. You know, we talk about things like, we say, well, we have bodily autonomy, as though we're not subject to God's commands, to His sovereign leadership over us, even our bodies. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. We wouldn't have these, these little enclaves of, of socially acceptable sins. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like gossiping, like impatience, like lying. You know, if, if nothing else, at least those who disagree with biblical theology and biblical morality, if they could just stop claiming to be Christ followers and, and just kind of, that would purge the body of Christ for the sake of our witness. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying Christians aren't going to fall into sin. We do. And I'm not saying that we're not going to sometimes interpret Scripture incorrectly. Obviously, we do sometimes, and we will. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many different groups of denominations and all that. But what I'm saying is, if people would read God's Word for themselves and judge what they hear in church by that Word, then they would be equipped to either accept it for real or be honest with themselves about what they really believe. So if we're going to be Christians, let's not be halfway about it, Okay? We're going to move on, but I, just, I want to encourage you, don't think of the Bible like Golden Corral, right? Like you show up and it's a buffet and you can take what you want and leave the rest. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. All right, one more interesting thing about that paragraph we just looked at, once again, is that the harvest among the Gentiles in Berea was massive, just like it was at Thessalonica. And once again, Luke specifically mentions women as being a large part of the conversions. I think that's cool. I think it's also interesting that, you know, the, the Gentiles were apparently having an easier time accepting the gospel of Christ than the Jews were, which is strange because, as Paul talks about in Romans 9, they have the prophets, they had the scriptures, they have the promises. But for whatever reason, at this time, the Gentiles were receiving it more. Anyway, we're going to get to chapter 19. We're going to see where Paul actually makes a decision to kind of flip-flop his the way that he's approaching that, we're going to, hopefully we'll be there by the end of the year. We'll see. Um, 
But the Jews in Berea were much more open to the gospel than the Jews in Thessalonica. In fact, the Thessalonians, they couldn't even let it go. You know, Luke says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. I mean, doesn't that just chap your hide? I mean, like, you know, Paul's left their city. But they are so worked up with envy, it says they followed him to Berea and continued causing trouble. This is the ancient equivalent of trolling, okay? Do you guys know what trolling is? Some of you probably do. It's a term when someone starts an argument with you, like on social media or whatever, and then they, they start going through your pictures and your other posts, and they, they leave passive-aggressive or just plain-aggressive comments on your other stuff. It's annoying. But see, Paul, he couldn't just block and unfriend these trolls because they actually wanted to kill him, and they were right there. So once again, just like they did in the first city, okay, the Christians in Berea immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. That 15 verses covers a lot. It's a lot, it's very eventful, you know, and it covers a fairly large span of time. So before we get to the, the very last point on the other side of that bulletin insert, I want us to recap very quickly, okay? Whether you are in a position of trying to evangelize somebody, or, or whether you are a person who is a growing Christian, or maybe you're a potential Christian, you're thinking about putting your faith in Jesus, you will probably agree that this, the situation where you got people coming and, and, and trying to attack you, it's not an ideal situation most of the time. And so if we're encountering a whole lot of resistance, a whole lot of hostility in one environment, I think it's perfectly acceptable to move on to an environment that is more welcoming of the truth that we've been given to share. This is that whole knocking the dust off your sandals and moving on kind of thing. And we definitely don't want to fall into the trap of choosing the will of man over the will of God. Okay? And that the Thessalonians were not the best example here, um, but I think, I think it's good to be Bereans in our approach to the Word of God. Okay, Especially in our eagerness to receive his word. And in our diligence to learn it and to study it and to compare it to all the other competing alleged truths that want our allegiance. You know, this whole your truth, my truth thing doesn't, that doesn't wash. There is only the truth. Let's get into his word and, and let's learn it and memorize it and internalize it and then live it. Okay, last thought before we wrap it up. You may have noticed uh, in both of these cities, when people tried to ruin Paul, it was the other Christians in the town that convinced him to move for his own safety, and they took it upon themselves to get him out of harm's way. And I think we can learn from this passage, friends, that believers protect one another. That is part of our duty and honor as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that can look a lot of different ways. It can mean physically protecting them from harm. It can mean gently calling one another out. When we do or say something wrong, we need to be held accountable. It may mean changing the way you dress for some or averting your eyes for others in order to protect one another. It may mean adjusting the way you talk or changing the subject you know, to, to something safer in certain cases. Protect your brothers. Protect your sisters. 
And I want you to remember this, friends. You know, I, I realize this, this didn't fall under, you know, the same, like I normally try to have it under one big theme and then it's broken into points and subpoints. This is a little different, but I want you to remember everything we learn today and every single Sunday is not meant to be merely informational. It's supposed to be transformational. That's the point. It is God's will that we take what we hear and we apply it in our lives in order to be more like Jesus. And I hope and pray that that that's the case for each one of us today. Now, it's possible. um, Maybe someone here has had the eyes of their heart opened up, um, you know, for the first time. Maybe, Maybe you, for the first time, you might believe, you know what, Jesus really is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. You know, maybe, um, maybe you've already believed this, but you never publicly said so and been immersed. You know what? Hey, today's your day. You got the chance. Today might be your day. Maybe, um, maybe you're already a baptized believer, but you, you feel led to publicly rededicate your life. You have that chance. You can do that. People aren't going to judge you. We're here to support you. Maybe, uh, maybe you just need a hug. Maybe you just need somebody to lay hands on you and pray. Whatever the case may be, now's your chance. 